Well, hey, as we get started, you can open your Bible to Exodus chapter 23. So if you haven't been here, we are studying the feasts that we find in Scripture. Uh, Last week, Nick went through uh, the spring feasts. What are these? What are they about? What are these uh, phrases for them? And you might be asking yourself, if we have Jesus, if Jesus has been revealed to us already, why do we continue to celebrate these things? And what we have to understand is the mindset that these feasts are like spotlights onto Jesus Christ. They are literally a beam of light pointing to Jesus the entire time. And so think of yourself being in a dark room with there no lights and these spotlights hitting Jesus Christ. What we want to do is help people recognize that from the beginning in Genesis to the end in Revelation, it has always been about Jesus. The feasts are a spotlight. And so today we are going to look at uh, the Feast of Pentecost, or the Feast of Weeks is another name for it. Uh, Shavuot is, is the name, or Shavuot. Uh, in Hebrew, if you, if you look through the feast, but we're going to look what I'm going to call throughout this message at the Feast of Pentecost. And so we've been going through uh, these feasts. I, I have a couple of titles. If you want to bring up the first slide, everyone knows I love slides. Here's the first one. Okay, so Passover. Passover always meant without intervention, I am going to die. die. Unleavened bread always meant Get everything out that doesn't belong. All right? First fruits always meant, always meant from the beginning of first fruits, there's more to come. Pentecost always meant, he provides the help I need. Always. He provides the help I need. On the count of three, I want us to say that together. One, two, three. He provides the help I need. He provides the help you need to repent. He provides the help you need to fight in the spiritual battle. He provides the help you need to stand on firm ground. This has been from the beginning, and it is a truth that will remain. But there comes a point in time, a specific point, where you have to choose to engage with this truth, and it comes through preparing ourselves to receive it. We're going to draw the connection between he provides the help that I need and our ability to prepare ourselves to receive that through the Feast of Pentecost. Let's get in the Word. Exodus chapter 23, verse 15. This is a command, if you didn't know, after uh, Moses is out in Mount Sinai receiving the law from the Lord. And he's having a conversation with God, and God is uh, giving him some of of these commands that are going to uh, bless the people and bless the relationship that he has uh, with his people, Israel. Verse 15 says, You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread, we heard about that, as I commanded you. You shall eat unleavened bread for seven days at the appointed time in the month of Abib, for in it you came out of Egypt. Okay, here's the part I want us to concentrate on. None shall appear before me empty-handed. Think about that for a second. 
None shall appear before me empty-handed. That when you come to me, that when you come before me, there should be some sort of sacrifice in your hand. That is a principle for us today. Sometimes we think, God, my hands are open, but more so it's, God, I'm bringing this to you. I'm always counting and checking my own desires in my heart, and I'm laying them before you. I'm not going to show up in your presence empty-handed. Maybe it's a story of praise. Maybe it's a story of sacrifice. It's, it's you going out and being bold, saying, Lord, this is what I gathered for you, but I am not going to show up before you empty-handed. Do you show up before the Lord empty-handed? Saying, God, I just, I'm, I'm just going to get. I just want. I want. I want. Just give me something. This is a relationship. He's describing a relationship in Exodus 23 that he desires, that he's going to pour out all of these blessings, that he's going to give them what he talks about in a few verses later, this beautiful land, this promised land, a land flowing of milk and honey. He's saying this is an interaction. We don't look at the feast saying, God, this is me putting on a show for you. This is us engaging with the creator of the universe in the way that he desires. He says, you shall not appear before me empty-handed. You shall keep the feast of harvest. This is the first time we see the feast of harvest, which is also another name for Pentecost or the feast of weeks, because this was a time in the grain harvest. So this would be between the months of May and June, and this would be the harvest of the wheat. He's saying, keep this. Keep this. Bring some of what you've gotten from the land and bring it to me. You shall keep the feast of harvest of the first fruits of your labor of what you sow in the field. Let's go to Exodus 34. So we know between Exodus 23 and Exodus 34 that Moses comes down from the mountain and people are worshiping a golden calf. So Moses goes back up. And he steps in on behalf of the people that deserve death and judgment because the moment he walks down, the covenant is already broken. But God continues in his loving kindness that they would repent. Exodus 34, 22. They're having this conversation again, and it's important to note that before this, in 34.11, he's talking about the promised land. This is going to be a key later, okay? In verse 22, you shall observe the feast of weeks, the first fruits of wheat harvest, and the feast of ingathering. The feast of ingathering, that's the feast of tabernacles, one of the fall feasts, which we'll see and we're going to talk about uh, more next week. But he says, the feast of Pentecost. You are to observe this. Pentecost now becomes not only a celebration of having resources, but a celebration of the provision of the law and the Torah. So as uh, Moses went back up to the mountain, let's try to wrap our minds around this. He goes back up, and the Lord says, don't forget to celebrate the feast of my provision, the feast of the wheat. That's the first part. Then implied, and what we're going to see in a little bit, is it's not just 
the, the, the wheat that they're celebrating, but it's the giving of the Torah. And if you were going to be a part of a Messianic congregation today, uh, you would go to a service, and they would take out the Torah, and they would dance, and they would sing, and they would celebrate, because the provision of God that leads to life is something worthy to be celebrated. That's why we celebrate who Jesus is. He was the provision given for us, and he is worthy to be celebrated. So we have this twofold celebration uh, that we're going to look at in depth. And now we're going to go to the specific nature of the feast and what that looks like. Why don't we go uh, to Leviticus 23, 15 through 22. If you're there, shake your head up and down like this. You did not listen to my instructions. <laughs> Just trying to change it up, keep it fresh. All right, so Leviticus 23. First, I have a timeline because I love charts. Here's a timeline that I want you to uh, look at. So you have the spring feast, Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits. Then you have Pentecost, and that's in like this transition season. And this is going to be important later. So I want you just to remember that there's a transition season going on. Uh, it, it, it's kind of uh, the spring, but it's turning into the fall, and it's, it's kind of right in the gap there. And then we have the summer harvest, which in John 4.35, we're going to go to in a second, is talking about the season we are in right now. And then we have the fall feast, which is trumpets, which we're going to be celebrating atonement and tabernacles, or the Feast of Booths. Does that timeline make sense to everyone? Do you see the church? I made that church. I copied someone and tried to design it in a program, and it took me seven hours, but I don't want you to miss where we're at. So look at Pentecost real quick. I want this to burn into your mind. It's in this transition season. See where we are. Summer harvest, this is all going to play together. All right, Leviticus 23. Here we go. I'm going to read through it. <clears throat> the Feast of Weeks is the heading my Bible has, so Pentecost. Uh, you shall count seven full weeks from the day after Sabbath. What's seven times seven? 49 plus one, 50. Pentecost, that's where Pentecost comes from. From the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, you shall count 50 days, I guess it's right there too, to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall present a grain offering of new grain to the Lord. You shall bring from your dwelling places two loaves of bread to be waved, made of two tenths of an ephah. They shall be a fine flour, and they shall be baked with leaven as first fruits to the Lord. And you shall present with the bread... Seven lambs. We're going to get into all these offerings. I want you to try to wrap your mind. If I told you next week, I, you need to show up with all these things. Okay? So two loaves. Seven lambs, a year old without blemish. Could you do that? Could you find seven? A year old without blemish. And one bull from the herd. You got that? Did you find a bull anywhere? And two rams. 
They shall be a burnt offering to the Lord with their grain offering and their drink offerings. Don't forget those. A food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And you shall offer one male goat. Can you get that? Don't forget. For a sin offering and two male lambs a year old as a sacrifice of peace offering. And the priest shall wave them with the bread of the firstfruits as a wave offering before the Lord with the two lambs. They shall be holy to the Lord for the priest, and you shall make a proclamation on the same day. You shall hold a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. It is a statute forever in all your dwelling places throughout your generations. Verse 22. And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to the edge. All right, don't be stingy. Now, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. So here are specific instructions of how this is to be celebrated. And I want to make a, 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 a statement here that this feast, that I would say all the feasts besides Passover, we see in Numbers 9-5, weren't actually celebrated until they reached the promised land. I'm going to back that up a little bit. In Nehemiah 8-17, it says, the whole company that had returned from exile built temporary shelters, right? Talking about tabernacles, the Feast of Booths, and lived in them. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this, and their joy was very great. So there's a point where they say, since the time of Joshua, why wouldn't it have said since the time of Moses? I'd suggest to you it's because they didn't actually begin to celebrate this until they got into the promised land, and this is going to make sense in a little, a little bit. In Joshua 5, 10 through 12, it says, On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal, on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated Passover after they're in the Promised Land. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate the food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that, but that year they ate the produce of Canaan. So think about this for a second. They were in the desert. No harvest. Where are the fields in the desert? That's the first thing. The second thing is that they had provision from the Lord in the form of manna. He was raining down manna, Exodus 16, from heaven to feed them. How do you know that they didn't have grain? The people continued time and time and time again to complain about the bread that they had back in Egypt and the food they had back in Egypt. So you take all these things together and you see that it's very, very, very probable that they didn't actually celebrate Pentecost until they got into the promised land. Why is this important? It's important because it displays the intention and the preparation that God wanted Israel to have before they came to him to celebrate the feast. I'm going to give you over 39 years in the desert to prepare for celebrating these things. 
It's, it's in this, it's in this, this, me, this, this area of, of, it's a desert. There's nothing. But, but he wants them to prepare. He wants that to be the attitude of their heart, that when they come to him, they're able to come to him with something. It's like if uh, one of the, so I hear, one of the best ways to lose weight is uh, meal preparation, right? You plan out in advance what meals you're going to eat at what times on, one, on what days. Has anyone ever meal prepped, I think the cool kids call it? Meal prepped? Yeah, a few. Ray, yeah, you're in good shape. <laughs> I believe it. And it's this preparation that is supposed to set us on a pace for change. It's this preparation that's supposed to set us on a change for a healthier body, for a a healthier being. And in the same way, this preparation was designed to set God's people on pace for a healthier relationship with him. Preparation is important. You think of the New Testament for a second. When the disciples come to Jesus and they say, hey, how come I can't cast out this demon? He said, this kind only comes out with prayer and fasting. There's something in the spiritual preparation of coming to the Lord that initiates a response, that initiates him handing us the help as a provision. Preparation is important. And remember, it's on, in Leviticus 23, it's on the edge. It's on the edge of the summer harvest. And this is, this is, this is going to be key. I have, a, I have a baseball mitt. Did anyone play baseball growing up? I was a catcher, and um, I wish I gave you a baseball and you could have thrown it. That would have been sweet. Just makes you want to go out in the field with your dad, (laughs) throw around some baseballs. So there's a phrase in baseball, if you're a catcher you would know this, it's called painting the black. Have you ever heard of that? Has anyone ever heard the phrase of painting the black? So it's, it's this concept of, if, if this was home plate right here, and this Kleenex box was a baseball. Painting the black would be if the pitcher threw the baseball, and it hits right on the edge. So it comes right on the edge to the plate, <laughs> and you catch it. It's hard to tell if it's really a ball or a strike, but if you're a catcher, It's really important how you set yourself up to receive a pitch like this. Because if you're you're down the middle of the plate and you just kind of reach your glove over, it's more likely that the umpire is going to call it a ball instead of a strike because of how you're lined up. So you're taught to go and you're taught to split the edge of the plate and catch it like this. You don't put your glove like this. You catch it like this and you frame it in so that he'll call it a strike. You have to move your body. You have to prepare for this. And this is, this is like a deadly placement in baseball. When you think about the feast being on the edge of a season, that something big, maybe in baseball, it's a strikeout. You're going for the strikeout, so you position yourself on the edge. But something big is about to come. This is where Pentecost is located. It's interesting <coughs> We're going to look through this uh, in, in a little bit. But did you notice that, that this feast was supposed to be celebrated? 
that there's going to be a new dependency on the Lord to provide grain, to provide a harvest that was going to be celebrated after the manna had stopped. But after the manna goes, God prov- provides a new way of help. Okay, does everyone have that concept? After the manna goes, God is going to provide a new way of help. And the whole point is God's provision demands a response. God's provision demands a response. This isn't religion. This isn't uh, knowing the right thing to check. But if God provides something in your life, it should stir in your heart an automatic response of thankfulness, of praise, of sacrifice, of devotion, of vocalization of his goodness. What has the Lord provided for you lately? Has he provided you with a new job? Mike? Amen. Has he provided you with breakthrough? What has your response been? And I want you to think about the provisions of the Lord in your life, no matter what it is and what your response has been, compared to the response that we see God is asking for in his word. All right? Leviticus 23, we're going to pulled apart piece by piece. The first thing we see that you were to bring as a response to God's provision during this time are two loaves. It says in verse 17, you shall bring from your dwelling places, from your house, two loaves of bread to be waved. Then in verse 20, it says, and the priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits as a wave offering. Don't, don't throw these. I will... I will drop both of these. Okay. It's kind of fun. So, from your house, the first thing you're supposed to bring, two loaves of bread. You're supposed to make them in a special way, as we saw according to the word, that there was uh, a meal preparation that you had uh, to perform. And you were to bring these things, and the, the priest would wave them as a wave offering. And then he would consume them. It was a wave offering. And I want you to think, if I was walking around with these and I just came down from a mountain, what would they remind you of? The tablets. And you see that this is a twofold provision that the people are celebrating once again. That it's the provision of, I had what I needed. That although there was drought in the land, although I I faced all these insects and these bugs, God gave me the harvest. But even better than that, He gave me a way of life. He gave me the Torah. He gave me the law. And I can celebrate. Because this brings me life. Just as bread sustains my body, the Torah sustains my soul. And I could celebrate because I have life. Come on, somebody. I could celebrate because I have life. They carry around these, these two loaves. We see, uh, we see with the two loaves, when we talk about the Torah specifically, there were two things in mind when they would think of the Torah. The first thing is that they would think of Revelation. That this was God's word being revealed to them. That God's very heart was being revealed to them in word 
form or revelation. The second thing that it revealed, the Torah revealed, was community. How do we do community? How do we live inside community? As a church, we uh, take this pretty seriously. We believe that this is the Father's heart. How do we live inside community? Community, the giving of the law taught that Jewish people how to relate to one another as well to God. Right? We talk about shalom a lot here, having peace between you and God and you and other people. This is the basis of community. And the Torah was what brought that to them. That because of the Torah, because of what I'm celebrating, I know how I can interact with the people I love. And I know how as a group now we can interact with the God we love. And we can celebrate because there's no longer any confusion. Revelation. Community. The two loaves. Bring these two loaves to me. And celebrate. Because of what I've given you. Because I am providing the help you need. God is providing the help you need. Don't look anywhere else. There's a word for someone this morning that you need to stop looking in place A, place B, place C, and to get back to the basis and get in the word. Because he's going to give you the help you need, I promise. Through revelation of the word and through the community, through the people of God. I promise. So they start celebrating, and it says something interesting, and I know we're going to jump back and forth a lot in, in verse 17. It says, they shall be a fine flour, and they shall be baked with leaven. I want everyone to go, <gasps> okay. Now I'm going to read the leaven part, and then I want everyone to go, <gasps> okay. It'll be fun. Ready? They shall be a fine flour, and they shall be baked with leaven. Yes. What does leaven mean? Leaven means sin. All right, we're going to come back to that too, okay? But keep that in your mind. On the count of three, I want everyone to make that noise one more time just so you don't forget. One, two, three. <gasps> Leaven. Okay. This is how I, rem I talk to myself this way, just so you know what's going on inside my mind. I'll be like, Nick, don't forget this, and so I'll do some, like, weird thing. Like, don't forget to take out the trash. And so I'll, like, shake the garbage can a little bit and be like, why did I shake? The oh, take out the trash. <laughs> I wish that was a joke. It's not. Okay. The second thing. So the first thing, two loaves of bread. On track? Yeah. All right. Second thing. Verses 16 through 20. I'm not going to read it again because we went through it. But numerous sacrifices. Numerous. They had to bring grain. Two loaves. Seven lambs. A bull. Where do you find a bull? Two rams. One goat, they had to bring time. It said set apart a day. That this day isn't like any other day. You had to set apart your time. You had to set apart your resources. That the things that rightfully belong to you, your field, the edge of your field, you were to set apart some of your resources for people who couldn't afford anything. Because part of our celebration for God's provision is generosity. That if we are not generous, we don't rightly understand the provision the Lord has given us. If you are not a generous person, if Nick Massey is not a generous person, it's because I don't truly grasp the help that I needed and the way the Lord provided. Lord, change my heart. All these numerous sacrifices, 
There were seven offerings that were mentioned in this passage. Grain offering, wave offering, drink offering, burnt offering, food offering, sin offering, peace offering. Offering after offering after offering. Think about this. This event happened once a year where they would actually have to travel to. They had all year. It seems like a daunting task to gather all these things. They had a whole entire year to prepare for the next year. Why? Because preparation is important. When you are getting ready to receive the provision from the Lord in your time of help, preparation is important. How you position yourself. Do you, do you fast? Do you pray when you're seeking God for breakthrough on certain things? When your aunt is sick and it seems like she's losing her mind, do you fast and do you pray on her behalf that God might move and provide exactly what she needs? When you're asking God for clarity and for direction, do you take a day, cancel all your plans, get on your face before him and say, God, I am not leaving until you speak to me because I know that this preparation is going to position me in a way to receive your help. How's your preparation? They had a year. It was a challenge to me when I was reading through this as I thought about what sacrifices have I brought to the Lord lately? What sacrifices have I brought toward the Lord, to the Lord today? Is there anything that I sacrificed in the last year that would cost me something? Once again, this isn't, this isn't a checklist. This isn't religion. This is the spots that should be in your heart because of the Lord's goodness in your life. This is the place we want to get to. This is what it looks like to go through sanctification. What sacrifice have you brought to the Lord lately? Here's the third thing that he asked to bring. So we have bread, numerous sacrifices, an unordinary day. It says that this day is to be set apart. That whatever you typically do on this day, whatever you typically do throughout your day, don't do on this day. This day is special. This day is unlike any other. This day should be reserved for me and for me alone. Don't let this just be a normal day. Don't let this be a normal day. This isn't an ordinary day. Wake up in the morning and say, this is not going to be an ordinary day. Set this day apart. That's the third thing he asked them to bring. The fourth thing. He asked them to help the poor. Be generous. I touched on this a little bit. Be generous. Take what you have and give some of those who are in need. This is what it looks like to please me. This is what God is referring to. Do these things. Like I said, an expression of our thankfulness for God's provision is generosity toward those in need. Leave them for the poor, it says in verse 22. Okay. We're going to make a little jump. And now some of these things that I, I was talking about and saying that they're going to make sense a little later are now going to make sense. So I'm going to bring the timeline up again. And up until Pentecost, Jesus fulfilled the first three feasts. He fulfilled them. So now we're shifting gears and we're talking about how is this a spotlight, in fact, on Jesus Christ? That's what we're talking about, so there's no confusion how did he fulfill the Passover? Well, Jesus died as the Passover lamb. It says in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, 
our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. If you're in agreement that Jesus fulfilled this, thumbs up. Unleavened bread. Remember when Pastor Nick was talking about they would go through the house and they would search and they would examine and they would open their cabinets today and they'd get all the bread, all the gluten out and they would wipe them clean and they'd burn it in the street, right? Luke 23.4 says, Then Pilate said to the chief priest and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. You see an examination occurring. In 2 Corinthians 5.21 it says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Why is it important that Jesus was sinless? It's connected to the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 1 Corinthians 5.8 Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Jesus fulfilled unleavened bread. First fruits. Jesus resurrected from the dead on the Feast of First Fruits. We talked about this. That literally, he resurrected, as the Feast of First Fruits was going on, he resurrected from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15, 23 says, But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Now we're going to look at Pentecost. Bring, bring that slide back up the timeline one more time. Fifty days after his resurrection and after ascending to heaven to sit at the right hand of God, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit as the helper. That's John 16, 7 tells us that. So look at this. Think back to Exodus, that when the manna was taken, a helper, a new form of help, was needed to be given. You see what's going on? That Jesus, that Revelation 2.11 says, is the hidden manna was taken, and a new helper was given. In Acts 2.1, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they're celebrating Pentecost, they were all together in one place. The God took himself, Jesus, and he gave a helper. Hidden man is Revelation 2.17, not 2.11, just, just so everyone knows. He's taken and gives a helper. Let's go to Acts 2. You see how they're all lining up? What I'm trying to show you is that at the beginning of time, when God provides the help we need, we respond. They responded in a, in a particular way. And once again, when it happens again, following the same pattern of timing in this transition season, that the same reaction occurs, but it's taken to the next level. Okay? Acts 2, let's just read about the account in, in 1 through 4. It says, when the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place, because they were all supposed to come back. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And see, it, it says in 1-4 that he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise, the helper of the Father. And then it happens. Acts 2, we're all very familiar with this passage. Something happens, and in the same way that the manna was released, that the manna, the hidden manna, was removed, a new helper steps into place 
in this transition season that was going on. And they get the help they need to live a kingdom lifestyle in the next season. A helper is sent. But guess what? In the same way that Israel was to respond to the, to the help of God and the provision of God, we see happen in the early church. The same exact way, and I'm going to show you. I have a slide showing uh, what happened in Leviticus 23. Just so we're clear, there's two loaves with leaven. There's sacrifice much, an unordinary day, and helping the poor. Okay? I want you to remember those things. We can keep those up there. Go to Acts 2, and we're going to go to verse 42. I'm going to read this, and then I'm going to go to 4, 32 through 35, and then we're going to go through it. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Go to 4, 33. It says, And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of land or of houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. So in Leviticus 23, we see uh, the grain offering, or, right? We see, we see this offering uh, for the Lord. We see these two loaves representing both the harvest and the Torah. Look at verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching in the same way that in Leviticus 23, they were celebrating the giving of the law, the word of the Lord, the people began to celebrate by sitting under the word of the Lord again. That in this celebration comes with a hunger for the things and for the truth of God. It's something that's benefiting us. We see the two loaves, and we see, you can go to the next slide. It'll all be filled in, but it's okay. We see the apostles' teaching. They submitted themselves, they came together and worshipped through the apostles' teaching. The next thing with leaven, remember I told you we were going to come back to this because we all went, <gasps> remember that? Okay. Acts 2.43. In awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles in 4.33 it says, and with great power the apostles were giving their testimony. So we see leaven as sin, but we also see leaven as a parable for the kingdom of God. In Matthew 13.33 it says, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like the leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour. So it was all leaven. That it's like this yeast, it's this microscopic particle that by nature, when it attaches to something, grows. And so there's a picture now that leaven represents the kingdom in, in what's happening. 
John 4.35, I said we'd come back to this. Do you not say there are yet four months, then will come the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Your translation might say ripe. Go to the timeline again. So we see in the kingdom, Pentecost happens, and then it's initiated into the season of the summer harvest. And the reason why there is leaven in Leviticus 23 is to point to the kingdom of God. This is the four months that John 4.35 talks about. That you are getting ready, that once you paint the black, once the season occurs, it is projecting you into something else. And this is the kingdom of God that we are in right now. Leaven, it attaches to something and makes things grow. That's why it's used in our time right now, you are to attach yourselves to people that growth may occur. You are to be attached to the Holy Spirit that the kingdom could go forth in power. That's why signs and wonders and power, they were all being displayed because they were in the kingdom of leaven. They were in the summer harvest. That's where we are right now. Does this timing make sense to you? That Pentecost now is celebrated with signs and wonders like the leaven that was used in the bread. That it shows not only the, the, uh, the apostles' teaching, but they were together, it says in, in verse 42. That they're breaking the bread together, that they were learning, remember, revelation and community, that they were learning this truth through the two loaves. And with the leaven in the loaf, they were learning how to move with signs and wonders in the kingdom. Both are necessary. Both are pleasing to God. And when God does something radical in our lives, we don't just stay in our seats. We don't just show up to receive. We go out. We spend time with people. We get in the word. We do community. But then we go in signs and wonders. We put on our battle armor and we go. That's the season of the summer harvest. That's the season we're in right now. Eleven, it's time to win souls. We saw in Leviticus 23, we saw all those sacrifices. They had to sacrifice a lot. Find all these animals. Use your resources to get these animals. Give some of this. Give some of that. Make sure all these seven offerings were included. Look at Acts 2.44. It said, and all, everyone say all. And all who believed were together and had all. Everyone say all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all everyone say all as any had need we see that everyone was now was going from sacrificing much to sacrificing everything you have a need i'll sacrifice anything for it i'll give it all i'll lay it all on the table not only will i i give you the bowl i'll, I'll sell whatever i can to, to help you and we see now that this season is, is being turned up. That what happened in Leviticus 23 is being cranked up to the next level. And this wasn't law. This was the reaction of someone's heart who encountered the power of Jesus Christ. That's what's happening. And things are being turned up. And I'm going to take sacrifice to the next level because of what he's provided for me. Because of the helper that he's given me. I'm taking it to the next level. I'll give everything. You have a need, I'll, we'll meet it. I'll do whatever I can. I'll leave whatever season I was formerly in to be a part of this season right now. 
I'm all in. I'm all in. I'm not talking about being all in to a church. I'm talking about being all in to Jesus Christ. All in for the King of Kings. That when he says jump, I keep jumping until he says stop. It's time that we stop giving up. Where we stop doing the very bare minimum. As Pastor Mike likes to say, all means all. We gave everything. So it went from a sacrifice of much to a sacrifice of everything. Everything's on the table. It goes from an unordinary day in Leviticus 23, 18 through 20, or excuse me, Leviticus 23, 21, to an unordinary life. It goes from an unordinary day, you can bring that slide back up, to an unordinary life. Look at verses 26 through 47 again. It says, and day by day. Right, not just a day, but it was day by day, by day, by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes and received their food with glad and generous hearts. What are you doing today? Well, today's going to be set apart for the Lord. Well, what are you going to do tomorrow? Well, tomorrow's going to be set apart for the Lord. Gosh, well, what about next Thursday? Well, next Thursday's going to be set apart for the Lord. I'm doing this every day because it's not about a day. Now it's about a lifestyle. I'm taking it to the next level. Every day is unordinary for when you're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. There's no more ordinary days left. There are no more ordinary days left. When you wake up and think it's an ordinary day, rebuke that thought. Say, it's not an ordinary day. It's going to be a supernatural day because I am clothed with Jesus Christ. Because I've been baptized in fire through the power of His Holy Spirit. No more ordinary days. Not in this house. We're not coming to play church. We're not coming to check off a list. We are coming to live unordinary lives as an expression of the change that Jesus has done in our heart. No more ordinary days. Come on. Live unordinary lives. Leviticus 23, 22 talks about helping the poor. We saw this with their field, that they would have to share some of the edges with their field because generous hearts. It says, it says the word generous hearts in verse 46 at the end of that. But let's go to chapter 4 real quick. In 34, so it went from helping the poor to eliminating the poor. Let me qualify that. It says, there was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds from what was sold. And they laid them at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as they had need. That instead of being, hey, there's a time we're going to help out the poor, they're saying there's a time where we're eliminating the poor among us because of what we're willing to give. Now it's not just the edge of my field, it's the whole field. can't reiterate enough. This isn't, this isn't religion. This isn't do these things and God will be happier with you. That's not it at all. I'm trying to show in the word that when God gives you and provides the help that you need, this is the response of people who experience that. And if my response doesn't line up with what I see in the word, the word isn't wrong, I'm wrong. And there's something I have to do to adjust my own heart if I don't see these things present in my life. If I don't see myself being devoted to the apostles' teaching, there's something wrong with me. There's something that I need to adjust and to repent of. 
If I'm not seeing signs and wonders and power in my life, that this kingdom of leaven being lived out, that I have to go back and say, God, what have I done? What do I need to repent of? What do I need to engage in? Have I been too comfortable? Have I been too lazy? Have I been too stingy? Have I been too ashamed? Have I been a coward? Because the days of cowardice are over. Because in light of everything he's given me, the help that I needed, the help for salvation... He is our salvation. Do I see signs and wonders? Am I willing to sacrifice everything? By this I don't mean you just give away your stuff for the sake of marking off your list. I'm saying do you listen for the Lord to tell you what you need to sacrifice? This is a, this is a relationship. This is made to build a relationship. Is your voice in tune with God, that when he says this needs to go, you say it'll go right now. He says, hey, it's time, to, it's time to get rid of cable because you're spending way too much time. You're not seeking my face. You say, God, it goes right now. I will go through whatever you need me to to make sure this is out of my life. Maybe you've been waiting for something. There's a promise you've been waiting for God to fulfill. Maybe it's a new job. Maybe it's a relationship. And then something comes along, and it's like, yeah, this, this must be it. This must be it. And the Lord's like, no. That's not it. Pass. You're like, God, how am I going to sacrifice? This has to be it. This has to be it. This is everything I hope for and I dream for. Is your ear in tune with God where when he says pass, you say pass. That when God checks, you check. Is your ear that in tune with the Lord? That's what he wants. He wants that relationship with you. He wants to guide you. He wants to lead you. He wants to give you the help that you need. Don't sabotage it. Don't sabotage it. In unordinary life, do you trust in the power of the Lord? Do, am I experiencing unordinary life? Do I seem where as I'm going to Starbucks that conversations just arise? That when I'm at the gas station and I see uh, Nora at the gas station, that she's witnessing to someone about Jesus. Do we see these things manifest on the day to day, day after day? Seems like I'm always encountering people. Yeah, yeah, that's part of it. It seems like everywhere I go, someone is trying to like, like kind of come against me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's part of the kingdom. Eliminate the poor. Are you being generous with what God has entrusted to you? Are you being generous with what God has given you? Poor financially, poor in spirit. Very, very, very uh, much so both. So I, I'm willing to do what it takes so that this person gets it. This is what Pentecost is. This is what Pentecost points to. It points to this reaction in our heart that God provides the help that we need, that no matter how strong I think I am, I can't create it on my own. That there's preparation. Pentecost is about preparation to be ready for, to position yourself in a way to receive the help that is coming for you. Are you on board? Do you celebrate this feast every day in your heart?
do you react to this feast every day in your heart? Why don't you all stand with me? So I'm, I'm just going to pray for us. I'm not going to have an altar call or anything. But what I do want to encourage you is that if God is stirring you for something, if he's stirring you toward repentance to make something right, don't leave here without doing it. If you know, you know, you know, you know, you know that you, that you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Get that right before you leave. It'll happen before you leave. I'm not going to make this a show. Tune your ear to the Lord and ask him, what is it you want me to do, God? So God, right now, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word instructs us for life. And God, I pray right now that you would speak to us individually. In a posture of receiving from the Lord, if you just want to open your hands. Say, God, what do you want me to hear? God, what do you want me to do? God, we praise you. When we ask ourselves, where does our help come from? We say it comes from the Lord. It comes from you. God, that you've provided everything we need. Well, that you've given us your word. That you've given us your spirit. God, that for this summer harvest season, for these four months that we see in the word, God, that you're giving everything we need to make it through. Lord, but not only to make it through, to live lives of harvesters. To live lives as people willing to sacrifice what it takes to do the work. We're done being ordinary. I am done being ordinary. Lord, we thank you that you speak to your people. Lord, let us not leave here changed if you desire to change something in us. Let us not leave here unrepentant if there's something we need to repent of, God. Let us not leave here singing songs of joy if you're asking us to sing songs of joy because of the overflow in our heart. God, we just want to do whatever you say because your ways lead to life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Be blessed, everybody.